0: Hello, welcome to Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host Mango, and I am your co-host Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about both DC League of Super Pets and Bullet Train. Before we do that, Buddy, why don't you know focus on what it is we do on this podcast?
1: Well, on this podcast, we talk about games. Uh, these are maybe two of the movies that are the least games related that we've ever talked about, though.
0: <laughs> yeah. So
1: um, I don't know. That's that's a thing. <laughs> Yeah,
0: no, it's uh, it's well. I mean, DC League of Super Pets is at least superhero related, which is traditionally Yeah, so we I do
1: we do most superhero movies that that have come out. We do those, and then every once in a while, we have branched out to do a movie that is like Bullet Train. And I'm sure as we get into it, we will talk about some of the movies that it is like and why we cover them. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's start
0: with with, with uh, DC uh, League of Super Pets. Um a couple of weeks ago on our last episode, I said that I thought it was the best superhero movie of the year, possibly the past several, and that I very much enjoyed it. Um, buddy, what are your pre spoiler thoughts?
1: Boy, pre spoiler I guess we have to do pre spoilers for both, oh, actually, yeah, yeah. right? Because we would have like no. Yeah, we're, we're not we're not, we're not gonna, gonna fucking like. Yeah, okay, so anyway, to talk about DC League of Super Pets. maybe the best superhero movie. What are the superhero movies that have come out recently? Black
0: right? Widow Um, Black
1: Widow, Shang-Chi, better than both of those. Shazam, uh, maybe, was in 2019.
0: uh, What else? Uh, Oh, uh, Eternals. Eternals,
1: Uh, definitely better than Eternals. Uh, Multiverse of Badness. Yeah, Multiverse was better than Multiverse. I would say it was worse than Aquaman, worse than Black Panther. Those were 2018. So what came out in 2019, 2020? Worse than... I'm sorry, better than um, Endgame, which was 2019. You know, I might even say I
0: I think I think it definitely holds its own against Aquaman and Black Panther. I think
1: um, honestly, it reminds me quite a lot of Aquaman, just because it's I mean, the, my thing about Aquaman is that it's predictable. It's by the book, right? Yeah. You know, it's a very straightforward story told well, and that's exactly what this is, right? You know, you know what it is? Teen Titans go to the movies cuz i think that was 2019 or 2020, right? And yeah. that's the, that's maybe the last superhero movie i thought was was this good. Um okay, yeah. Yeah, i'd buy that. Um, now, I, now i need to look it up. What is Teen Titans Go to the Oh, that was a 2018 film too. Wow. Okay, yeah. So the best movie in th- the best superhero movie in 3 years. It's 2022 like 4. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I guess like all of the movies in twenty twenty got postponed, right? You know, we never got the Flash. We oh, is it better than the Batman, which was this
0: year? Mm, I think so, but I just got I got caught up in a lot of little stuff with the Batman.
1: Yeah, I also think it's better than the Batman. Is it better than James Gunn's The Suicide Squad? Oh, hmm. I think it is worse than that. I think Suicide Squad it was better uh, from last year, right?
0: Yeah, so I I am if I had to power rank it. I might, you know, I don't know. Like, I think it's definitely in the same, like, level of, qual- right? Like, these, these comparisons I have trouble making, right? Because, like, I think mm-hmm. the Marvel movies are all trying to do some variation of Marvel movies. so You can pretty easily stack rank them against each other, right? Yeah. Um, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad is trying to do something very different than DC League of Super Pets. Um, I think that's actually pretty key to why I think DC League of Super Pets... Um, compares favorably to the Marvel movies because I think it's more in the Marvel movie vein whereas like DC or uh, James Gunn's uh, uh, Suicide Squad was not trying to be the same type of thing in a different in a a way um uh and like kind of like DC Think of Superbets obviously has a layer of kiddiness to it right like it's supposed to be a family movie at some level um and I think if we're judging it on the merits of being like a kid's movie, I think it, it hits it like hits its target very well, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um uh, so I, I think I think it's at least I think you I think you can at least make the argument that it uh, that it compares favorably to, to, to Suicide Squad. But yeah, that, that makes sense. Um but that's I think enough blathering without going into specifics. Um for Bullet Train. I enjoyed Bullet Train. I thought at some moments it was, like, a bit full of itself, and it has some very particular, like, weird issues that I won't exactly call criticisms, um, but I th- I'd say, overall, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I'd watch it again.
1: Yeah, Bullet Train was great. I, funnily enough, I don't know that I'd watch it again. The thing that I reminded me of is uh, Bad Times at the El Royale, uh, which is another yeah. movie that we did a couple of years ago, which... You know, is just one of these kind of Swiss watch all plot movies, and this one was that, and it was great, and I had a great, I had a great time with it. Um, it's, I, I think part of what it is going for is John Wick, right? Um, and it falls sh- quite short of John Wick, even though it is by the same guy. Um, I, I think it's more going for Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's definitely fair. I mean, it is definitely more comedic than John Wick was. Yeah. John Wick was not a comedy, obviously. Where this one, you know, is trying to uh, is trying to be funny in a lot of different in a lot of different ways in a lot of different places. But really, what I mean to say is that um, the action um, was good, but not great. Right. Um, if this had come out instead of John Wick in 2014, I don't think we would have seen kind of the action movie renaissance that John Wick would eventually sort of inspire. Right. Um, and uh, and that's that's kind of the that's kind of the thing I think when, when viewed on the terms of an action movie, it's fine when viewed on the terms of kind of one of these plot based you know, fast-moving thrillers where you're trying to kind of outrace all of these plot developments and see how it all fits together—it's great, right? And that's and that's why I I loved it so, like I, I connected with it so much. Uh, you know what? I I would I would uh, I think I buy that.
0: Um, I also so something in my head popped in my head is like I think it also wants to be compared like with the Edgar Edgar Wright movies, right? Like um, Baby Driver direct Baby Driver was Edgar Wright, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, like those. T- like I felt like it had a lot of that kind of like stuff to it. Like, like the kind of like. I think you're right about the, it, it. Wants the John Wick comparisons. I think this is better than Nobody, which is the Bob Odenkirk John Wick thing that also fell out mm-hmm. of everybody's minds. Um, and to your point, right? Like I don't think I'd I'd be like, oh boy, I need to go see this again in theaters. But if I wanted a movie that was like a fun light watch, I would consider this in the same way I consider Bad Times at the El Royale. Right? Like, if, you know, I'm sitting down with my dad and I need to watch, pick a movie that I know, like, you know, he is not going to be bored by and I don't need to require him to, like, you know, want to make a reading of the movie or whatever, I think it's sp- safely picked Bullet Train. Um, and it would be fun for that kind of purpose. And that's the kind yeah, of thing so I would see. to you
1: know. give this guy's uh, uh, filmography, right? He started, he was the co director on John Wick, David Leitch. Um, he is famously a stuntman turned director through John Wick, right? And then he went on to make Atomic Blonde, which is John Wick, but with Charlize Theron, and then Deadpool 2, and then Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw, and then Bullet Train, right? Um, So... uh that's sort of that's sort of like his his kind of filmography and where he came from. I think the I think the other John Wick guy is Chad Stalsky, right? Um, he, so this is David Leitch is is who I'm talking about. Um, and now that I say, I say the word Deadpool two, it immediately connects in my brain, and I'm like, oh yes, right, that makes sense because this also feels kind of a little like Deadpool, right, in yeah. terms of sort of an irreverent you know comedy that is that is paired up with a, with an action movie.
0: Yep, no, that makes sense. Um, but again, we're probably blathering a little bit too long for like the uh, the pre-spoiler section. So here's a spoiler warning: we're going to be doing DC League of Super Pets first, and then Bullet Train. Spoilers for those, also probably spoilers for every DC and Marvel movie potentially, and also John Wick. Right? <laughs> like these are like yeah. the big comparison points, right? So you know, be warned that there might be some spoilers in in there. So uh, let's start with uh, DC League of Super Pets. Um,
1: yeah. So I think the core thing that appeals to me about this one is that, you know what, man, I, I don't know what it is, but fucking the rock and Kevin Hart have just great chemistry. I've seen them in a couple of movies. And my understanding is that they are real life friends, right? Like they starred in some movie together and now just kind of keep starring in movies together because they're buds. Um, but they continue to sell that relationship here, right? Um, with, uh, with obviously... Uh, it's a pretty star-studded
0: cast, too, right? Like, it, besides those two, there's, like, a bunch of famous people. You know, let's, let's like, take a look. It's easy, like Batman's it's Keanu, right? Like...
1: Yeah, but that's like more of a it's like more of a cameo. cameo. I want to say right, like he's not uh, as major a character. Uh, okay, so yes, we have Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart, Kate McKinnon is Lulu, John Krasinski is Superman. I actually didn't know that. Uh, you know, honestly, this some of these are kind of uh, are kind of deep cuts. Um, so Natasha Leon, Nat- Natasha Leone is. Uh, uh, she's from like Orange Is the New Black. Like, she's a, she's like a TV actress as Merton. I mean, she does a great job, right? Um, I do not know who Vanessa Bayer is as uh, as PB.
0: Yeah, he. So, um, he. She's the only one I didn't really recognize, but like Mark Maron is like I don't know if I want to call him a deep cut, but he's like a known figure. Diego Luna is Cassian Andor from Rogue One. Yep, that's true. Um. And like you know, Thomas Middleditch, obviously from um, from Silicon Valley, Ben Schwartz are uh, you know uh, Parks Sonic Reck- the Hedgehog, yeah, Parks Rick and Sonic, yeah. um, Olivia Wilde. Oh, actually, you
1: know what? I do know Vanessa Bayer from the music video of the Lonely Island song uh, "Finest Girl." Which is, the, which is the fuck me like we fucked Bin Laden song. <laughs> uh, so so maybe, maybe I don't want to say it's
0: it Star but like they're recognizable, right? Like Yvette Nicole yeah. Brown and Jermaine Clement and, uh, you know, like, like, like Jameel Jamil, Yeah. Like, like all, all those, like these names that like I recognize and maybe they're not like, I couldn't tell you exactly who they are, but they are names I recognize and, uh, they're they're pretty cool, right? Uh, so you know, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah.
1: I was definitely also incredibly surprised to see that the movie is very based around crypto and Superman, but Ace is not Ace the Bat Hound, right? He ends up in, uh, like like paired off with Batman, uh, but does not start that way because Ace the Bat Hound is. Like famously, first of all, Ace the Bat Hound is not—I don't—is he a boxer? Like in the movie, he's a boxer or something, Um, but in the comics, Ace is always a German Shepherd, whereas uh, Crypto is accurately portrayed as a Labrador. Um, But the it was it was definitely very interesting. I thought it was going to be a Superman Batman movie with Crypto and Ace kind of filling in, but no, like Ace is pretty unrelated to Batman stuff for basically the entire time.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, he, he, he fulfills, as as kind of like, as in a Superman-Batman movie, right? Like, Ace fulfills the kind of more down-to-earth, more human, less idealistic counterpart to Crypto playing the Superman role, mm-hmm. right? Like, so he, he fits into the Batman slot, but he's not explicitly a Batman sidekick until basically the denouement, Um as is, uh, you know, like, and you know, all the other pets are also assigned, to, you know, to to the various superheroes, um, to, you know, for 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 fun for fun kid times. Um, but the thing that that really stuck out to me is we have been. Watching for years and years now these Marvel movies, which try mm-hmm. to be like light comedies with a heart, right? It's like kind of like the general oeuvre, but they constantly, as we've pointed out before, and it's, you know, I'll give credit to you as like kind of like developing this thesis, constantly undercutting their kind of moral core with the humor in this kind in these kind of bathos moments. DC League of Super Pets does this perfectly, but it's kind of like turning off the humor when it needs to be heartfelt, right? Like the like the easiest thing in the world, right? We've seen like this you know as you mentioned, right, this is like a very standard movie done standardly, but like, mm-hmm. you know, easiest thing in the fucking world to do, know when to fucking turn off the comedy and like have a serious fucking moment. And the Marvel movies haven't been able to do that for for five fucking years. And DC, it was refreshing in a way to see
1: DC League of Super Bits. nail it, was it on the Yeah, it was incredibly refreshing, especially also coming from Dwayne Johnson, who I have complained about on the podcast as sort of also having this bathos problem, right? Like the thing, you know, I liked Hobbs and Shaw, but the thing about Hobbs and Shaw is that it is hard to get... You know, okay. So, I'm stealing all of this from Patrick Williams, by the way, because he's right and I agree with him. The thing that makes the Fast and Furious movies work is that, (laughs) like, the, the core characters take the drama incredibly seriously, even if the movies are fucking batshit, right? The drama between Tyrese and... Paul Walker as these estranged friends who have to team up is real. And they're joking and they're, and they're, and they're doing whatever. Right. But like you, you feel the friendship, the friendship is earnest. Right. And the same thing is true for the friendship between Dominic Toretto and uh Brian O'Connor in the first, you know, in the first fast and furious. And then the later, you know, some of the, like the later sequels or whatever, all of that stuff is, is earnest and it's on the nose. And it's played dead straight so much so that like if Vin Diesel treats it like goddamn Shakespeare, right? Like he he is fully in this thing, but as the rock sort of transformed into his own kind of one man movie star persona, he dragged some of that bathos with him. And he eventually pulled that kind of fully off into the Hobbs and Shaw movie, ironically directed by David Ledge, who's the guy that directed bullet train. Um, and I have kind of gotten sick of that, right? Um, of this, this like, I, I don't know what I would call it, kind of like action figure movie star persona of uh, of well, the it's Rock. A, but here it's a pro wrestler doing... persona almost, right? Like yeah, no, yeah, actually, yes, exactly. It it, it is the it is the understanding of kayfabe. Right? Um, you know, this, that that he is playing with the cave fame when it comes to kind of his own movie star perfo- persona inside of the movies that he's in. Um, and obviously, you know, he's not lending anything else but his voice to this performance, but he has a very recognizable voice and he does a lot, you know, with what he's given kind of as crypto. Um, and he not only sells the core conflict and sort of problem that is at, at the heart of crypto, right? But he also sort of brings that to all of these other kinds of characters um which i think is just good it's just good for, it's good filmmaking right
0: yeah so before before i forget just because you said very recognizable voice the person i forgot that really like stuck in my head is like this is Stud is keith david as dog l um mm. this because like he he has like the most recognizable voice in the world to yeah me at least. one of
1: yeah one of the most recognizable voices out there
0: um but yes um I agree, like, you know, everybody basically plays it straight, right? Like, you know, obviously there's some goofiness, but none of it's like this winking at the camera, like, nonsense, right? It's all kind of like, and maybe this is because it's like a kid's movie, right? But, like, it's it's all, like, played, you know, to the, like, the humor is all, like, I guess diegetic's the right way to put it, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, Yeah,
1: not only is it diegetic, but it is also internally consistent with the needs of the scene or sequence that it's in, right? For instance, um... There is a moment later in the film when the the need of the scene is to portray real danger right um, where this is with the the cat like uh, yeah well, like with the with the cat right and even though that that scene is funny, it is still comedic right um in the sense that this cat is like blowing stuff up. Uh, with its with its weird morphing tail that morphs into like missiles or whatever, but the internal drama and tension of this cat is a menacing threat who is going to kill the pets unless they can figure out how to you know control their powers works and is sold in that moment, which I thought was 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 very impressive. Right, that is easily the kind of thing that a fucking Marvel movie would absolutely. Just, I, I don't know, the, did you see on Twitter a couple of weeks ago that there was, like, a new video game that had a trailer and people were talking about how it had this Joss Whedon pass on the, you know, like, on the script or something? Like, the trailer was like, oh, and I guess I fight dragons now, so that's oh, something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's not, none of that kind of stuff, right? The, it, it doesn't derive the humor from any of those sorts of things. It derives the humor from places that are, you know inside of the world of the movie it is humorous for a little tiny kitty cat to be shooting things out of its tail nobody goes oh my god is that a kitty cat that's shooting missiles out of its butt like no ever like we're we're all in on board with the mechanics of the movie which is that orange kryptonite gives pets superpowers this pet happened happens to have this this superpower right um and so yeah comic slur question is that how orange kryptonite works Uh, I actually don't know. It might be. Um, Because I do know that there are a variety. There's this whole rainbow of kryptonites. The ones that everybody knows um, uh, is obviously like green kryptonite and then red kryptonite also. Uh, Because that red kryptonite popped up, I think, in Smallville in an important way. Um, There's a couple of other ones. Like, I think purple kryptonite is incredibly dangerous because it will sap Superman's powers, like, permanently. Uh, but that one, like, never... It, that doesn't show up all, the, all that much. But yes, well, there speak, are a million of, different Kryptonites, and they all do weird things.
0: Speaking of Twitter, um, a couple months ago, Pink Kryptonite made the rounds. You know what Pink Kryptonite does, buddy? Does
1: it... Does it make him gay? Does yes, it, make him it makes olden?
0: him. It makes him gay. Um, oh my
1: god! No, this was like this was like I think like a
0: mid aught storyline. Everybody was like, "How did this
1: happen?"
0: Oh no, no!
1: Fuck. Okay, well, you know, times are different. <laughs> yeah, to the times they are. <laughs> oh God! Anyway. Ugh. So, yeah, so I think all of that stuff, I think all of that stuff was good. All of that stuff worked great. And also, the other reason that I wanted to compare it to Aquaman is because I loved how evocative the world was, right? One of the things that I that I really connected with w- in Aquaman and in Black Panther as to as to sort of movies is they sold me on this world, right? Of um kind of this this fantasy, you know, with the, the, both of those are sort of these fantasy epics, right? Where, you know, you have these seven kingdoms and they all have these different whatever. You have the philosopher kings who are these like mermen. You know, you have, uh, you have obviously the Brine King, everyone's fucking favorite. Uh, the the Brine King and his giant, you know, catapult crabs or whatever, right? Like, one of the things that made Aquaman so cool and such a gigantic hit was this massive bombastic battle at the end that felt like I was watching, you know, something from, of the scale and scope, right, of Lord of the Rings, right? Right. These grand fantasy armies clashing, um... At the bottom, you know, at the bottom of the ocean. Guys riding, you know, sharks are fighting guys who are riding, you know, a fucking polisiosaur, right? Um, And DC League of Super Pets says the same thing, but it's not fantasy, it is, like, superheroes, right? Like, it sells me on the world, this is actually probably one of... If not the best depiction of Metropolis in particular that I think I've ever seen, right? Like one of the things about Metropolis and Gotham um, is that they are um, kind of like famously compared and contrasted in a lot of in a lot of like media, right? Like they did this in Batman vs Superman where. The Gotham and Metropolis are sister cities across the water from each other, right? And whereas Metropolis is a kind of like a modern upscale, you know, whatever, uh, Gotham is this sort of um, is this sort of slum that is old and decrepit, right? Um, that has that has all of these condemned buildings and stuff like that, right? Uh, Something that always happens in the comics, people always fucking talk about this in the comics, is that it is always night at Gotham and it is always daytime in Metropolis. Superman never fights crime at night and Batman never fights crime during the day. So you just like you just see Gotham and you think nighttime. You see Metropolis and you think daytime, right? Um, and this is a very similar sort of thing, right? Like it is a it is very uh, a kind of bright um, and sort of up uplifting. Upbeat city, upbeat yeah, upbeat city. Um, and there's a lot of little details that are cool, right? Lex Luther, uh, the park, uh, Gotham. Or I'm sorry, Goth- Gotham, Metropolis. It it is maybe the most comics accurate I have ever seen of Metropolis because Metropolis is technically, I think, I don't, I don't, I don't remember. I think it's technically supposed to be in the Great Lakes. It's supposed to be kind of like Chicago in a way, um, but it is it is on a sort of plateau, and there are waterfalls all around, right? Um, and it is sort of a little bit of a, like a layered city, and you get that in this, right, where you, where it shows how there's kind of it's sort of like an island, almost like Manhattan or something, um, but in this in this otherwise in this bigger lake sort of area and i was just like wow holy shit right um normally they don't do that they just kind of make it a stand-in for you know new york um or just kind of uh something something a little bit more generic like that right man of steel and batman versus superman both had a pretty generic metropolis uh, that could have been
0: no nah, i mean i thought i thought like in those movies like metropolis was san francisco and uh gotham was oakland like that th- like i was living oh, there at the time and it felt very much like like First of all, across the bay, and also those cities already have those kind of like you know modern city slum city vibes. I thought, th- th- yeah, 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 yeah. Um,
1: interesting. Yeah, maybe, maybe um, uh, that that would definitely that would definitely sort of make sense and definitely sort of work. But just like you know, in the in the sense of delivering the metropolis that I'm expecting to see from having read Superman comics, this one is a very good representation sort of of that, right? Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, and I, I also want to say that like on top of that, I like really like the aesthetic, which was like cartoony enough to be fun, and I think like kind of contribute to that kind of like more upbeat vibe. Um, i also very distinct. Like before I saw the movie, there were I don't know if you've seen this on Twitter, but um, the screenshot from the movie was was uh, uh, was cyborg kind of giving a like you know like what the fuck is this shit face. But Cyborg in the movie has, like, half an afro, right? So, like, it just, like, looks perfect. like, you know, that's, like, just goofy enough that, like, it's fun but not so, like, bad that it's, like, you know. I
1: actually really love the the direction that they took the Justice League in this movie. First of all, I have to shout out, Hookhand Aquaman is in here. He doesn't, his left hand... Is replaced with the harpoon, right? Which is famously like this is this is when I fell in love with Aquaman, the character. That that is from Peter David's run in the 90s, where Aquaman gets his powers temporarily stolen, um, and the villain makes him stick his hand into like a like a whirlpool of piranhas, basically, and they eat his and they eat his hand. Um, and he eventually he collects the bones and uses them for like magic and shit later on, but he replaces his hand with. He, he replaces his left hand with um with that hook with that with that harpoon, and I loved seeing that. Um, I loved seeing Superman in the black Superman S sigil, right? Like, cause that that is the original Superman. Um, you know, right now, oh, I'm actually wearing it. Right now, it is it is red on yellow, right? Um, but the very first iteration, it is a red S with a with a red outline on a uh, on a black sigil. Um, and it was, it was cool seeing that the Batman suit was also, the Batman suit was a suit that he changed to in the mid two thousands that just had the, the thin yellow outline of the, of the bat symbol rather than a fully kind of like painted in one so that he is more black with only these hints of yellow. Um, and it was just all of that stuff I think worked, worked like gangbusters.
0: (laughs) Yep. I, I agree. Um, something that popped in my head is fun facts. Apparently piranhas aren't actually all that vicious it's only when they are starved that they uh, they act like that um, I have heard that yeah um, I have
1: heard that there are actually much more mundane fish who are which are much more dangerous like a catfish is much more dangerous than a piranha
0: I believe that I think some catfish have like uh, poison which which would make sense
1: yeah um, I also know that they have a um, that they have this uh, uh, these sort of like like bony, blade sort of things like you're not supposed to catch a catfish with your hands because you'll you'll cut up your hands really bad because of the the under the underbelly right are th- th- spines but they're not
0: <laughs> they're not in their mouth um i i'm sorry to extend this this, this tangent but i, I kind of have to. you know what noodling is
1: yeah it's when you put your you you, you put it in your fist in them in their mouth and yeah these are for like these that, right? super
0: giant catfish right like it has to be big yeah. enough obviously that your hand fits inside Um, that's also extremely dangerous, not because of the catfish, but because of the holes that they live in of like, like a 50% chance of it being like a snapping turtle. So like, you know, know, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Um, 50% might be a little high, but like, yeah, that's like, you know, but yes. Anyway, back to the movie. Um, yeah.
1: Speaking of turtles, I want to call out that Merton was fucking hilarious. I think my favorite bits were all these Merton bits, right? Um, you know, there's this part where Merton is like falling in love with a, with a fire fireman's helmet, which is a very stupid bit that I think in most other movies I would go, Oh God, come on. But they do this thing where they shoot the fireman's helmet. From Merton's perspective, because she has really bad eyesight, right? But they don't blur it, right? So they give the fireman's helmet this, like, angelic backlight, and they make it look all romantic as the camera pans in. And I thought that bit in particular, I was like, yes, this is this is funny. They also do this thing where Merton curses, but they bleep it in the movie so that they can keep their G rating, which I loved and thought was really yeah, funny. I, I think part of what makes this all work, too, is, like,
0: you know... Everybody in the Pets cast has kind of, like, a personality problem that they're working through, right? Except for Merton. Merton's only problem is she can't see, right? She's confident. Like, if you could point her in the right direction, she'd know what to do, and she just can't fucking see, right? And you saw that yeah. problem and put a pair <clears throat> of glasses on her. And so, like, because, like, you know, she doesn't really have, like, a moral arc to go through, I think those jokes kind of work better. This is kind of like, you know, you know how we say that, like, Daredevil would be as is, is good as a secondary character in, like, what is primarily a cable film? right i think this merton fills that same role right like you know it's a comedic film but she's like she can be like all comedic relief because she doesn't have to worry about like you know becoming a better turtle other than like being able to see um yep yeah but i thought it was super fun i I agree i thought merton's bits were were some of the best um uh i thought like like obviously the 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 two main our two main characters are are ace and crypto um i thought that maybe this the electric squirrel got a little bit less underutilized um but you know otherwise i thought uh i, th- I, th- I thought you know it was all kind of handled well relative to each other um mm-hmm. like you said you know very basic plot structure right like um you know uh they they fail horribly in the first encounter with the hamsters uh and uh you know they uh And then they they grow and become better and then they, you know, they they save the day. Very nice. One
1: thing that I do want to call out, which bothers me because this is the kind of thing that bothers me, um, is I have seen the take on Twitter that this is a very good Superman movie, which respectfully, no, that's dumb. Uh, Superman, this is actually, weirdly, maybe a good Batman movie um, or a good Flash movie in the sense that the core conflict is crypto dealing with, you know, crypto having this experience and dealing with a group of people who he has to work with, right? That's sort of why I say it's a Batman movie, right? It's a very common sort of thing because Batman has this big, wide family Um. Of you know, Robins and Nightwing and Oracle and Batgirl, you know, like all all of these other sort of people. And his thing is that he that he needs to figure out a way to help these people become good at their superheroism. Right? Um, he is sort of uh, he is sort of this guy who. Um, is, is a natural leader, but is not a natural teacher, I guess is sort of the dynamic that they're going for. And that's the same sort of thing that Crypto has going for him. Superman, on the other hand, really doesn't have that going for him. He's frequently portrayed as the leader of the Justice League in sort of the same way that Captain America is. But where Captain America is truly the leader of, like, the Avengers because he has tactical stuff and he orders people around, Superman just kind of is the most powerful and... and everyone likes him and he's the most popular character outside of the diegesis of the comics and that's sort of why he is the leader right but typically the Justice League is much better said to be led by someone like Wonder Woman or Batman uh, or Aquaman um, who have all sort of had these turns at being the leader of the team right and making the kinds of decisions that you would expect the leader of the Justice League to, to sort of make so respectfully twitter people that hate man of steel and want to say that all man of steel or all of all movies that are not man of steel about superman are a good superman movie it is not in fact a good superman movie kind of like my objection to people saying that about iron giant yeah, uh, so yeah so
0: the, the big problem too is like like crypto does not have superman problems right like um like to your point right like superman isn't necessarily like He's not the leader in kind of the, the tactical sense, but he is, like, the moral heart of the team, right? Like, you know, Superman's thing, and, you know, you, you might give me some pushback on this, but his, his big thing is, is being, like, the Boy Scout, right? Like, being the guy...
1: No, who, I, no I will give you zero pushback. That okay. is correct, right? Um, yeah.
0: He is the guy that is good, and he is the moral center, and... Uh, and usually with that, like, and with that comes like humility, right? Like the the, the problem with like kind of all like, you know, that this is the, this kind of central thesis of every single one of these, like, you know, but what if Superman was bad things? Is when Superman isn't that, right? When Superman doesn't have like a, a, a you know a, a a solid moral center, um, and uh, and crypto crypto's problem is is not necessarily that he's like he has like a bad moral center, but he's, he's, he's got too much pride, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and you know. Batman does, like, a lot of, like, I work alone stuff, which is clearly a lie, Um, but that's also, like, kind of what Crypto's doing here is, like, I usually do this on my own, and I have never had to rely on anybody else, and now I have to get these, like, you know, dogs, these other pets to, like, work with me. Um,
1: Yeah. uh, Yeah, it's also, you know, like, this is part of my thing about Man of Steel. This is why I do think Man of Steel is a good Superman movie. It takes... Superman's altruism for granted, right? Most superhero movies, like the the core structure of a lot of superhero movies is a person's journey from selfishness to selflessness, right? You know, like this is in the in maybe the very Godfather of these is Spider-Man, right? He uses his powers selfishly. Uncle Ben dies, and he realizes that he has a responsibility to now use his pro- his powers selflessly, right? He is learning to behave selflessly. But the thing about Man of Steel is that. Superman is always behave. It it is fundamental to his character that is he is behaving selflessly. The core dramatic question of that film is not will Superman use his powers for good. You see in the first two seconds that he uses his powers for good, and he puts himself at great personal jeopardy because of it. The core, the you know, the core uh, dramatic question of that film is will can Superman trust people? Right. Can he trust humanity with the knowledge, right, that he that he exists and that he is around, right? Um, and is kind of torn between the philosophy of Jor-El, who wants Superman to be an inspiration, right, and his father, Jonathan Kent, who thinks that he needs to hide himself, right, um, up to and including to the point of he dies, right? Um, and, and that stuff, I think, is also – that's all core Superman stuff, right? Um, but it's just – that's pretty far removed from what crypto is going yeah. on th- here. And – Crypto is definitely selfless, right? Like he is—he is obviously a superhero, and he obviously wants to help people. There is no world in which Crypto is uninterested in actually kind of rolling up his sleeves and and fighting supervillains and and helping people out or whatever. But you know, all of this conflict about uh, his insecurity and anxiety about his friends, um, uh, or specifically his friendship with Superman, um, and figuring out how to make friends with other people—that stuff is like the opposite of, like, that's like the opposite of Superman, right? Yeah. Superman effortlessly gets along with, with, with people. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. And actually, I, I, I thought that, I thought the kind of like dog logic bits were pretty good jokes too. It's like, oh no, you know, Lois is going to take my favorite bull. <laughs> <And I mean, laughs> like that kind of stuff. I,
1: yeah, <laughs> there were a couple of other bits that really got me and one of them was uh, the bad blood when he puts on <laughs> Superman is getting kidnapped by Lulu the the hairless gerbil or hamster or guinea pig or whatever um and he put but, and Scripto can't hear because he has Taylor Smith's bad blood and, and he's listening to it in the headphones and he's crying I was just like yes yep, that feels good
0: yeah yeah no it was I, I, like, like we said we both. It's a great movie, a lot of fun. Relatively simple, though. I don't know if there's a lot more else to say about it. I think we could pretty safely move into Bullet Train at this point. You agree? Yeah, um,
1: sounds good. Uh, Bullet Train is on the opposite end of the spectrum by a hard R action movie with a lot of blood and core, right? Yeah, um,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah that, that, nothing else to say about it than that. The, so the only thing that I kind of want to like pull off the bat is like, like. I'm not normally one for these kinds of criticisms, but, like, there was, like, I was, like, watching this movie, I was like, why are there so many white people on this train in Japan? And apparently it's adapted <laughs> yeah. from, like, a Japanese book. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: And, and you know, I guess it's kind of like a, uh, you know, like a, what's her name, like a, you know, like a Ghost in the Shell level problem-ish. Um, and it didn't need to be a problem, right? Like, I have no problem buying that, like, this white, he's not a hitman, I guess, he's a... uh uh, he, he's a thief. This white thief is like operating in Japan right now. Like none of the characters didn't make sense, except for like the shush lady, right? Like um, it just like felt it felt weirdly. It felt like there was a weirdly high percentage of white people on this train for for a train in Tokyo. Um, but you know, that's that.
1: Yeah, that, I that, definitely, I definitely feel that. Um, on one hand, it is very rooted in Japanese like culture, right? Because right. of. Uh, uh, you know, just like the bullet train itself is not a thing that that we have in yeah. in the U.S. Um, and also, there's just a lot of stuff about um, like the mascot, right? Um, or like the 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 vending machines, these little bento boxes and stuff like that. I thought I thought all of that stuff was really great and true to form.
0: Yes, I agree. I agree. Like it definitely had the right flavor to it. You know, um, but yeah. Uh, so, what do you want to talk about with this movie?
1: Um, man I don't know it really to me this movie is is really I don't want to say no thoughts head empty it is just that there is no sort of thematic underpinning I don't think this movie is trying to you're not supposed to learn a lesson there's no Aesop fable right, right. Un, like underneath any of this stuff which is normally the kind of thing that would piss me off right I love the subtext right and I want to dig into that stuff and I feel like movies that don't have that are typically very empty calories right um, but the thing that just made bullet train work so well is that it is it is all like it's the it's that it's the switch Swiss watch precision plotting right of each individual uh, kind of uh, beat and um, all of the all of the the kind of Story twists and turns as they as they kind of click together and and interlock and latch into one another. It's just great and so fulfilling, right? Um, I don't know. I, I it is. It's just. It's hard to just talk about these sorts of things without going through and being like, "It was very clever." How. They, you know, he puts the sleeping powder in the water, and then he's drinking the thing and falls asleep in a in a scene thirty minutes later, and you're like, oh ho ho, or like there's this snake on the train, but he drinks the the snake antidote, or he, he injects himself actually, I guess with this with the snake antidote. So when the snake bites him, it hurts, but it doesn't kill him, right? Like that stuff is just like so good.
0: Yeah, I mean, and in terms of like a message, right? I think, I think the message is like embrace fate. Rather than fight it, maybe like it's kind of told to us by like the old man, right? Like it was like stop fighting fate. That's that's why there's problems or whatever or something like that. I guess
1: you know. Yeah, maybe you you said this thing about uh, it's a little full, the the film is a little full of itself. I think that stuff is probably where that yeah, is the yeah. most true. Um, you know, like the, do, you, do you know the do you know the the Family Guy bit? Uh, about the Godfather, it insists upon itself. <laughs> it's like, what, well, what does that mean? It it insists upon itself. This is what Peter says about the Godfather. Yeah. It's a, it's a famous bit from Family Guy where he says he doesn't right, right. like the Godfather because it it insists upon itself, right? I sort of get that feeling a little bit about I think, <laughs> about Bullet Train. It's like I I think I would argue that this fate destiny stuff doesn't fucking matter and is not the point, right? Um, it is uh, it is sort of uh, window dressing, I guess, yeah. to, to dress up this switch this Swiss watch precision. Um, but maybe if it is trying to make a point about embracing sort of fate and, uh, you know, chaos, I... Yeah. I, I guess? I guess.
0: Uh, a thought occurs to me, this movie maybe compares, like, plot-wise... Um, best, to uh, Murder on the Orient Express, which is another Ooh. train-based movie, where the twist is, again, like, you know, every, like, the twist of, uh, spoiler, this is not a movie that we give spoiler word for, but the, the twist in Murder on the Orient Express is that, in fact, everybody on the train is in on the murder, this is kind of like an inverse of that, in that, like, you know, everybody's on this train to get murdered, maybe that's more like Six Little Indians, Uh, Which is a novel that went through very several name changes because the original, um, original name change or the original name was uh, was a hard R, um, as it were. Yeah. Well, because it is based on a children's poem. That was the original children's poem. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah. Okay. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, th- it does feel a little bit like a murder mystery in that sense, right? right? Um, as, uh, because, you know, murder mysteries are typically built on this sort of construction of lots and lots of MacGuffins, lots and lots of plot elements, right? Lots um, of red um, herrings. You have, yeah, you have red herrings, right? You have Chekhov's guns everywhere, right? I mean, this movie has like 15 or 16 Chekhov's guns, all of which fire, right? right all of yeah. which go off, um, and um, and part of me likes that, right? There really was no aspect of the narrative that didn't kind of like loop back around. And I think that's part of why it's just such a satisfying watch, right? It's kind of a um, it's kind of an exercise in in stacking dominoes, right? And so it reminds me a little bit of um I wanna say Forrest Gump, but I the moment I went to say it, I sort of think that's stupid, <laughs> but whatever the case may be, it is this—it is this feeling of stacking dominoes, um, and then the third act is watching the—you know—the the dominoes yeah. all fall, right? Um, and it is—I think the thing that I was most impressed by was how much of a climax the third act ended up being. I kind of expected it to be something of a dud because if there was something that I had. Um, Uh, You know, something that I felt was a little bit anticlimactic was that the climax, uh, or I'm sorry, about uh, Bad Times at the El Royale, is that the climax of Bad Times at the El Royale sort of felt anticlimactic because they were building up this character to appear, and then he did, and (sighs) it's okay. Right, this was Chris Hemsworth's cult leader character right, in, right. The, in that movie. In this movie, they were doing the same thing with um, I think is the White Death, right, the Russian mob boss, yeah, um, the the Russian yakuza boss, um, who is who you eventually learn is played by Michael Shannon and is also great. Um, and the, it was the opposite, right? Like he shows up in the narrative and it just kicks everything into electrifying high gear until the whole the, you know like the whole movie culminates in this gigantic massive train crash right uh, that kills a bunch of people. I think the only loose end that I am sad they did not tie up was Channing Tatum's character of this white guy on the train that he gives the fish hat and the glasses to in order to trick the one you know what one of the the, the operatives um, into into fucking shit up. Um, and he never, he never sh- shows up again or loops back around into the plot. So,
0: yeah, no, I, I was going to say like the, it was, it was nuts. Cause like the only kind of like unexplained thing, the, 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 the only aspect of fate that really enters the plot, and I, I'm trying to to see if I have to give like a through line for this, but like is, is, um, you know, fucking, uh, uh, what's, what's the actor's name? Um. The guy who played Free Guy. Ryan Reynolds. It's Ryan Reynolds' character being replaced by Brad Pitt's character. Um, oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Brad Pitt's character, right? Like, that is the only thing that, like, is totally random and total chance, right? Like, even, like, you know, uh, the, the 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 kid be- or the girl being hit by the Clementine truck is explained in the post credit scene, right? It's, like, not, yeah. like, you know, it's not a loose end. It is, it is explained. Um, I think... I feel like I feel like there's some there. There is something there, right? Like there's a there there maybe, um, uh, but you know that that I thought was like 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 you said very switch mechanical watch position. Everything kind of wraps itself up into a neat bow, and you know um, the only act of fate is is Brad Pitt accidentally. Pitt, Pitt. Did you
1: did you find that reversal funny in the climax?
0: Uh, what the that that he wasn't. Where, that, yeah, he, where the
1: White Death is giving this whole huge speech about you know how how much he hates you in particular, and then he says the name Carter, which is a callback to the guy, the Ryan Reynolds character, who in fact got replaced by Brad Pitt. Um, I, I, like, it's funny because I think that would technically, we would call that bathos humor, right? Right. But I found it so fucking funny. I died laughing. It, it <laughs> works. I thought
0: it was so great. It works because this movie is kind of like a screwball comedy, right? Like, you know. Yeah. Um, it is not like, we are not. We can only have so much more resonance with these characters that we've seen for like you know, and you know ninety minutes, right? Like, um but yes, yes. I thought I thought that I thought it was hilarious. I, I thought the whole like you know the the one that the one that hit me worst was kind of like when they did the they like stop the action to go like follow the water bottle. Um, that one hit me a little bit wrong.
1: Oh yeah, I remember that especially because I was thinking I was like this water bottle is not that fucking important actually. All he does is pick it up and drink it. And then nothing happened, and I was just like, "What? Okay, whatever." Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Um, so I I do agree about the, the fucking but, water bottle. <laughs> but
0: like you know, like it it like that moment works because like that's like this whole character, right? Like all he is is just like infinite bad luck, um, and that appears like that appears to be a real force in the movie, right? Like mm-hmm. that is just causing everything to go to fucking shit, right? Like. Um, yeah,
1: how how the daughter, Joey King's character, has good luck, uh, and how he has bad luck, I thought was very funny. Especially because, and maybe this is the other point, uh, is that there is no such thing as good or bad luck, because his bad luck does work out for him in the end, right? Um, you know, things do go, quote-unquote, wrong, but they end up, w- like, w- right for him. I would also point out that there are a lot of moments, right, like, there's the point where the the wolf... Throws the knife at the guy. They're having this fight, and he blocks it with the briefcase, and then it bounces off the briefcase and hits the wolf in the heart. It's like what's well, obviously good luck, Brad Pitt's character. Jesus. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. 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 Yes. Uh, I, I will grant you that. Although it's it's a little bit like more arguable, I think. But yes, I I, I, I generally Yeah, I mean, just...
1: it is kind of cosmically bad luck that he runs into this guy, and this guy wants to kill him because he. You know, happened to be at the wedding. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, Like, that part of it is bad luck, but inside of the fight itself, there are these instances of good luck or whatever, which is maybe sort of, you know, part of what the, the film says at the very end when it comes to bad luck and good luck. It's like, maybe it's just all just luck. Um, uh, and, um, and by the way, I want to call out that that fight scene with the wolf, which is one of the very first ones, is the best. I loved... I thought, I thought most of the action was... Fine, good, good. Fine, you know, like, what did was it bad? No, really, was it particularly amazing? Was it like John Wick in the Knife Museum? No, but the one that was transcendent that did kind of get to that level was his fight with the wolf in the empty bar car where he has the briefcase and the wolf has, um, I think he has a gun at first, then he has this knife or whatever. It's just like that whole fight was great. It was gangbusters. I i, I, I was honestly a little disappointed because that fight was pretty early and I was like, ooh, yes, let's go. And then some of the other ones were a little bit kind of like lamer. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I—I—I I, I agree with I, I, I agree with you on that. Um, I felt like I had another point about the luck thing. Um, uh, oh yeah, something, something, so there is this, this is a thing thing I'm glad they didn't do. Where like occasionally, like I see this less in movies, but more kind of like other things. It's like where someone has such bad luck, they kind of like invoke it to do a thing. Right. Like, and they, and they do it on purpose. And that always, like, that always feels like weird to me. Right. Like, you know, like I've got such bad luck that like, you know, if I pick something at random, it is going to be the wrong one. and I can rely on that to to to, to do a thing, um, and they they avoid that that pitfall, which I think is good, um, and at it makes the, the the humorous moments better, right? Like when he like spins the fucking comp the the, the, the locks and just opens the fucking briefcase, right? Like you know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that was also very funny. That was a good bit, right?
0: Yeah, um, but yeah, um, it's ever everything just kind of like you know, I think kind of falls into place um the, the more the more I think about it the more I think you're right right it is even if I think they're like cutting some corners in various places like the it feels like a precision mechanical watch like you said just kind of like running and then it like folds itself up neatly and ties itself with a bow and it's a nice kind of uh you know thing to happen and uh, I'm sure that since this is done well we'll get like a sequel that we don't need but, uh, oh did
1: know. it do well I actually have not paid any attention to what it, to what it was like at the box office but yeah I I, I heard it I, I thought it did well um I, I guess I will say that I'm I hope it does well this is you know it's it's funny uh, because um, oh 100. yeah would you look at this 150 million at the global box office repeats number one look at that um cool yeah that's great.
0: Uh yeah, and it, so it beat out its its budget. So hooray! Yeah, uh, apparently.
1: Yeah, because this is the kind of thing that I like seeing. Uh, you know, you know, it's it's funny because people, I think people complain a lot about um, some of the, what would I call them? I don't know. Just like Disney, you know. So for instance, something that I'm that I'm watching right now is. The, the your movie sucks review of the Lion King uh, did you tell me about this
0: yeah I might have I definitely watched it it took me a while okay
1: I have just started watching it because I never I had never watched the The Lion King remake and I just decided to do so over the weekend I was like you know what I'm just gonna watch it because I want to see I want to see the YMS video this actually came from a different thing where um, uh, funnily enough YouTube creator Lindsay Ellis who, had, who who quit who famously quit YouTube right Um... Uh, her new thing is that she's doing sort of a watch-along for The Sopranos, where every two weeks she gets on a live stream and with a couple of you know her friends or whatever, and they and they all talk about The Sopranos. So I've been re-watching The Sopranos to watch along with these live streams. And in the most recent one, in the first one, um, she mentions how uh the the you know how good the yms review of the the disney lion king uh is and kind of the hollowing out of culture that that thing was because um i the the core problem with the live-action lion king is that it takes the expressive sort of animated faces of the 2d and makes it quote-unquote realistic photo realistic is this realistic six? john when yeah it is just, <laughs> just kind of like the refrain
0: from the from the from the review
1: yeah and it's just like you know it, it is a truly buck wild thing to watch and it, by the way it was also the thing i mean part of it is that the jungle book was my favorite disney film And so, like, Disney animated film. And so I was pissy about the Jungle Book remake that came out that also did this sort of thing. But at least the Jungle Book remake, you have Mowgli, who is a human character that can emote like a human can, right? Right. Um, And even then, I would actually even say that, like, Bagheera and Baloo um, and Shere Khan all also have much more emotion than Scar and Mufasa and Simba do in this fucking Lion King movie or whatever. Um but I've been thinking I've been thinking a lot about sort of that phenomenon how The Lion King makes a clearly evidently boneheaded decision a buck wild stupid remake of a very good f- movie right and makes it like a gazillion dollars and then you have like whatever original movies that do nothing right because the Lion King remake is essentially just packaging the first film and going, wow, it's that moment from the first movie. Except for, it looks like a Richard Attenborough documentary, right? Yeah. Um, and so I it's remember, nice to see right? a, yeah, it's it's nice to see a real, you know, a, a real classic Hollywood blockbuster, right? Kind of do well at the box office.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I I I agree. Um, although I guess it's an adaptation, so not totally original, but. That's true. Yeah. I mean, a, a
1: lot of stuff that we think The, the Godfather was an adaptation, right? Um, but, you know, yeah. just that it is not built on one of these, you know, like massive franchise properties or whatever.
0: Uh, does Death on the Nile count as a. I did watch Death on the Nile, actually.
1: Because I think you said that Death on the Nile was very good. And I saw it on HBO Max. And I quite liked Death on the Nile. Yeah. Rip Army Hammer, mm-hmm. who was great in that movie, and I and I like him a lot as an actor, but he's also, like, weird and super canceled. Yeah, yeah
0: you know, art from the artist, whatnot. Are, have, have they decided yeah. what they're doing with the Flash movie yet? Like, it's like... Oh, my God, I don't the, know! Are right? they still holding? It's like, oh. every, every time I hear something about Ezra Miller, it gets worse, and WB still refuses to cancel the Flash. Um, <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, um, that, that, but that is kind of, to that point, is kind of what I'm afraid of, right? Like, this is going to do well, and they're going to spin off, like, like, I thought I thought John Wick, Wick was getting a little bit long in the tooth, and I'm glad they put a lot of time between 3 and 4, um, because maybe I won't feel like that 3 was, like, I, I did not, I didn't think 3 was bad, I just thought it was, like, trying to do way too much and, like, was way too close to 2, um, so maybe I feel better about four, but I'm I'm worried that like be like oh this is successful let's do another four of them. Um,
1: yeah, I mean I do like a lot of stuff that happened. Oh, I'm sorry, three was the knife museum fight, right? Um, was it? It was either three. Yeah, or two. It, I think three was the horse. Which was a fight that I real I like this. I, but the three has all of this stuff in New York, but then they fly to like Morocco, right? Yeah, and that's where you get all this stuff with the dogs um, because he he teams up with Halle Berry, I, I think. Right. Is, yeah. um Is what ends up happening, and um, I do feel that.
0: Like I I think they did they they went and they explained like you know, mangos lion are, are in law of world building any, any world that goes on long enough will eventually become stupid. I think they kind of like, like race there with three, right? Like this king of assassins character that can like give him a special MacGuffin or whatever. It's like, you're doing too much. You're like, you're explaining the world too much. Um, and I feel like this, this, this kind of world is ripe for that in like the, the bullet train world. Um, honestly, I would love to see like, uh, a lemon and Clementine movie. Um, like, I guess you could make that a prequel. Like I think you can make a movie movie about like the Belize job or whatever that was and have it be okay. Yep. Um, but I think I
1: think you could take this Brad Pitt character and just put him in a completely different scenario. Yeah, and it would just work fine, right? Like you could do Brad Pitt on a on a boat on a cruise where you know you just do the same sorts of shit, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, speed Speed Two Cruise Control Bullet Train Two Cruise Control, right? <laughs> um, just because you know <clears throat> this is a thought I had. Bullet boat. Better Call Saul wrapped up. By the way, Better Call Saul is amazing. I'm I've not going to spoil it. anything, obviously. Better Call Saul wrapped up. But one of the things I've been thinking about when it comes to that show um, is how it is a crime procedural. Right? We have procedurals that are that are medical. We have medical medical procedural shows uh we have police procedurals obviously um and i think that there has sort of been this rise in crime procedural sort of shows you know television movies what what have you um which john wick definitely falls into the into the category of this also falls into the category of stuff like better call saul and breaking bad and you know it's ilk um are also kind of like deeply immersed in um and i sort of think that the thing that i am interested in the thing that connected me to john wick so much in the first place was the world building of it right was was the the presence of the continental right was the value of these coins was was john pulling out a whole suitcase of these coins that were insanely insanely valuable right um this by the way eventually got folded into the payday 2 universe which i thought was kind of hilarious and funny um and i sort of think uh, that if I were, if I were thinking about adapting some sort of Bullet Train 2, um, I would want to approach it a little bit from that perspective. Maybe you take the central character, um, of Ladybug, and you put him in a, another scenario, but with a different sort of cast of characters. Maybe you have a couple of, you know, a couple returning players, but mostly it is just kind of exploring some other new, different criminal element, uh, somewhere else. Yeah,
0: I think, I think you probably, uh. I think you probably uh what's it called um you you bring back Clementine or not Clementine mm. uh, lemon um because you kind of because like he's like he's kind of the standout he's also like the last one He le- he's like might be the only one left right uh, right the, the only one left that, that would be like a significant character um everybody else kind of dies um, but yes uh but yeah I think, I think I think I agree with you you could you could make that work But that's what what, what I mean by like you got to be be careful not to push too hard on it, right? Um, Just because like you could easily go down kind of this like way too stupid rabbit hole, right? Like, yep. um, Although now that I say it, now that I think about it, they'll probably give um, Maria more screen time now that she like came out from behind the camera, and that would probably not be great. Um, But you know, it is what it is. But you know that's uh, that's that's time. Like I do, I think this was a good good choice for a double feature because neither movie was particularly deep. Um, yeah, that's
1: definitely true. There was not a lot of like extra sort of like lore to dive into, even though one of them is based on kind of a comic book property. Um, so that was uh, though. Oh, I'm sorry. I have to say, DC League of Super Pets, zero out of ten, dog shit movie because there is no topo. Oh my god, I'm so mad about this. Aquaman famously, famously has a pet octopus named Topo. He is, in fact, the octopus that drums in the Aquaman movie, the tattooed octopus that is drumming as they do their big, you know, climactic 1v1 for the for the for the king fight or whatever. That's Topo. Topo is is famous and cool. He is now a Kraken in the comics where Aquaman has this has this Kraken, but the Kraken is Topo. He is not the Kraken from the Aquaman movie, which is like a giant, you know, uh, sentient sea monster that like talks to him in Julie Andrews's voice. Uh, Topo is just a fucking animal. He's kind of a dog, honestly. Aquaman also famously has another dog who has has a, I'm sorry has another pet. If you don't want to do an octopus, I, I get you. Wb, listen, I understand. You just got pop. David Zaslav. Look at me. I understand. I understand. Maybe you don't want to make a whole movie about a fucking octopus that can't be on land with all the other guys. That's fine. That's okay. I have the solution. His name is Salty the Sea Dog. He is a fucking golden retriever that Aquaman and Mira have, and he is... He is named Salty, and they call him the Sea Dog because he likes to go swimming. And he is Aquaman and Mira's fucking dog. And I cannot believe we had a movie about League of Super Pets where Aquaman ends up with the water guinea pig at the end of it. I'm so mad. <laughs> Zero out of ten. That's my fucking review. God fucking damn it. Didn't even do the seahorses! He like uh, he, it, it's Super Friends, you he he have so many options. You dogs the fish! You can't give me a fucking fish! I hate this. I uh, I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: um, if I'm going to offer a defense of this, it's specifically because Aquaman can't talk to fish. That you don't want his pet to be a fish, right? Like part one of the key aspects of this movie is that the pets understand the humans. The humans don't understand the pets. Right? This okay. is played for the last you know several times. So True. If, <laughs> that's fair enough. If you have a fish, then you know indirectly, Aquaman can talk to the pets, and that's that's potentially a problem. So.
1: <laughs> oh god anyway how was your week tell me all about uh, a couple
0: it. weeks right at this point we missed for the first That's time ever i think we've missed two, two, two episodes That's um, true. uh so yeah uh it has been pretty great what i do in the past weeks did gen con um which was super fun um so uh, highlights um we did this game called dragon thrones which is a mega game um Kind of like your standard mega game, um, but there are three, like, so, so, I've we've played enough of these that I think you can kind of, like, there's archetypes for your characters in the mega game, right? There's usually a general that, like, does stuff at the table, there's usually, like, some sort, it's, it's called, like, a diplomatic legislature, and they go, sit at a different table... Possibly, like in this case, it was outside the room with other people, and they generally interface less with the rest of the with the uh, rest of the characters. But they're busy like passing resolutions or something. There's Usually, an economy person, and then there's usually like a leader that like um, uh, doesn't really have their own defined thing, but they are in charge, and they also usually have the power to kind of like coordinate that most other people don't. And even though like there's a person called the diplomat, usually it's the leader who's actually doing kind of like the the face to face negotiations with the other powers. Um, Dragon Thrones had three people at the table. There was a um, the general. um, There's an assassin. There's a missionary. Um, Those two roles I think were like less well defined, less good. Um, uh, But they were. But they they got to do their own things at the table. They we had a. um, a merchant person we had a diplomat and then we also had a king i played the king um uh, high admiral um for uh clan Gulf. so um i'll i'll put a link to the the instagram post in the um in the description um we they said on their thing it's like we'll, we'll assign clans randomly um but preference will be given to people in costumes. so we dressed up like pirates um, <laughs> yeah. Um, like the guy popped out and said, "Did anybody have a pre a preference?" And I, I was like, "No one moves." And I'm like, "Yes, clan golf." And he looks, he's like, "So who are?" He's like, "You know what? I'll know who you guys are." Um, and so, um, we got God, all I'm so the,
1: fucking jealous listening yeah. to this. oh those mega games are so fucking cool, yeah.
0: right? Um, it was super fun. Um, we. We came in second um, at the game. We were announced as third, but that was because of miscalculation. And we would have won if we had not lost. We literally lost a card, like a power up card, and that would have like given us the win on points. Oh but it, no! It was super close. But you know, we ended up forming a four way four way alliance in the seven team game. Um, so you know, kind of like split down the middle. But it was uh, it was super fun. We unleashed a kraken. We were like 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 uh, so. Friend of the cast, Mark. Was like I'm going to get you enough resources to make a kraken, and then the general friend of the cast Nick was like I'm going to release a kraken, and it just caused chaos. It was like not a super, <laughs> a super great. He was like, right, we want to think- make a kraken. We're gonna do it. Fuck yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um. Uh. And uh, so that was that was fun. Uh, the other so the other one that like really caught my attention uh, or that I thought was like super exceptional was um, the national security. Uh, defense mega game we played a cold war sci-fi variant game and um so usually um i was talking with about usually the games are kind of like there are some mechanics and it's fairly fluffy and there's some like adjudication the nsdm game had what we described as hard fluff um there were like n- very few like actual mechanics but the people that run the game are all like ex state department people and, like, historical experts, and so, like, I played um, a particular wing, a particular conservative wing of the UK Parliament, right, like, the way way it kind of is, you're not playing a single person, right, like, um, you're playing the wing, and maybe, like, like, if your character gets assassinated or something, you just play as a different person from that group, right, like, you know, even if you're, like, like, you know, like, like, uh, like, Butler, I don't, I don't know, I don't know enough about UK history, but, like, uh, Butler was a historical Tory leader. One of the people on in the U- on the UK team was playing Butler. Um, Butler gets caught in att- attempting to assassinate JFK, and so we throw him in jail. And so he comes back five minutes later as another member of the Butler party, but not Butler himself. Right, like that. That's how it works. Um, wild, by the way, that he gets caught trying to assassinate JFK. But you know, that's the whole thing. Um, But the neat thing here is that, um, like I said, there's very few mechanics. Like, I am playing um, this wing and I get assigned to be – like, my position in parliament is head of MI5. And it's like, we get a radio transmit – like, the Americans receive a radio transmission that um, has problems. I'm like, oh, I need to go build a radio spying system, right, to protect UK national interests. So I I go to the guy who's in charge of the cell. That's what he's called. And he's like, you know, again, like some, some, his, some guy with like a lot of knowledge. I'm like, I like to do this. How do you do this? Like, okay, you could definitely do this. The limitations of the technology at the time is you won't get a lot of specificity, but all you need for this is funding. You just need the approval of four other members of parliament. Right. Um, I, it was because like, we have like 10 of them or something, right. You know, we, we, or rather we had like seven of them. So four is a, is a base majority. Um, and so I went and did that, and I have to go argue with these people. And it was a super great experience because, like, it, like, what do they say? This like, a simulation won't prove anything, but it'll give you insights, right? Like, everything, like, just the gridlock of trying to get anything done. Everybody, like, losing their shit, like, um... I think part of this was just kind of the game isn't design, but like, like France was getting pissed off because no one was talking to them. France was kind of an NPC, so I think part of it was like there wasn't a person walking around as France. But like, you know, you know, um, the aliens keep getting closer, and we can't fucking agree what to do with them because you know, the United States and um, and Russia are busy trying to like maneuver themselves. We're pissed off because like our prime minister isn't giving us enough, like, isn't giving us enough responsibility on the world stage. So we have like. Um at the very end of the game we ha- we have like a vote of no confidence and throw out the Prime Minister, right? Like um and like the game ends, they're like, None of you tried to actually talk to the fucking aliens. They're just like refugees. You're all like panicking on it, like you know, it's like watching everything er- everything fall apart. Um it was super fucking fun. <laughs> I would do it again in like an instant. I loved it. Um
1: Would you do would you do the Dragon Throne once again or is that a one and done?
0: I would I would do it again. The thing about it was so um, these, these, my understanding is Dragon Thrones is like a company that goes and like does this Dragon Thrones thing at a bunch of different places um, and like the, Gen Con is one of their events and apparently it's one of their shorter ones too like they will do all day sessions where like they do a little they, they get into a little bit more stuff I thought Dragon Thrones was good I would favor a different one like you get, you get this kind of feeling where it's like they're running a business it was also a more expensive ticket um and uh, like they're doing what they're doing this to like kind of like 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 part of the reason like they, they wanted to take they took a picture the reason there's an Instagram post of us as um, Clan Golf is because we dressed up and they wanted to like use it for marketing type stuff right we're like sure whatever okay. yeah no I um, feel
1: that. that that's the thing that we talked about with True Dungeon Adventure right was that. All of the soul was gone because it had been commercialized to hell and back. Right. Yeah. Um, and not it I, doesn't sound like all of the soul. Right. Yeah. yeah. It is.
0: Yeah. It, it wasn't that bad at all. It just kind of like, like it feels a little, to me, at least it feels a little bit better to play the other mega games where it's like by the mega games coalition. Right. Like they're doing it primarily cause it's fun. Right. Like, um, I just has a slightly different shading on it, I guess. Um, And I would, I I would think I'd favor the other ones, but I would do it again if that was either, uh, buddy. Sorry about that. Technical difficulties. Anyway, um, just finishing out. Gen Con was super cool. Um, the only other thing I want to talk about in particular was, uh, fucking Zweihander has this new thing called Blackbirds that comes out in October. It's a very cool book. It's a very cool world. Um, I wanted to highlight in particular the Manticores. Uh, That's the the Basilisk. The Basilisk is also cool. It's kind of a Rocko's Basilisk thing where, like, if you know about it, it can manifest the real world. But this, that is the Manticore. That's... Yeah, right? Like, um, the, this, it's, everything in here is kind of, like, like this, right? Like, very kind of gruesome. Like, that's the Goblin. Oh, my God. Um. Yeah. Uh... you anything else that I thought was particularly uh there's a great picture of uh yeah there's the white whale um so you know very kind of like gothic horror world um it's supposed to be like so it was, why was famously um them genericizing the kind of classic WFRP system um so I look forward to at least reading that even if I never play it but it was super cool um only other noticeable thing I did with my week was, or uh, my weeks was, uh, Rumbleverse came out of beta, so I played a bunch of that. Um, and so that's that's the big things. Uh, buddy, how was your week?
1: How was my week? Um, or my three weeks. Honestly, I have been in the Total War Warhammer 3 Immortal Empires waiting room. Uh, we got all of the... So, okay, so the DLC that's coming out tomorrow includes... Um, uh, a big rework for the champions of chaos or the warriors of chaos. The warriors of chaos being the mortal chaos faction compared to the demons of chaos, which is like the, the you know the new set of factions that came out in Warhammer Three. Um, the warriors of chaos have are a very, very old faction that feel insanely old to play. Over the course of Warhammer 2, basically every faction in the game got a pretty substantial upgrade, right? Um, They actually started with the dwarfs and then kind of went through and just hit every other faction in a row. At first, it was... With the Tomb Kings, it was the dwarfs. With Vampire Coast, it was the Vampire Counts. With um, the Huntsman and the Beast, it was... The Empire, uh, Bretonnia was in there somewhere, and then obviously there were two DLCs that featured, uh, the Wood Elves, which was the, um, uh, the, the, the Twisted in the Twilight, and, um, and then there was a DLC that featured Beastmen, which was the Silence and the Fury, right? The, the Beastmen being the very final of the, um, of the updates. And there are two big sort of outliers. Number one is Norska. Norska actually kind of has, feels more modern by, by today's standards because it was developed at the very tail end of Warhammer 1's life cycle, right? Um, so it actually does have a lot of unique and interesting mechanics. It is just that it is a, a relatively old, not super well fleshed out kind of like full faction. Um, but the Warriors of Chaos released with the original version of Warhammer Total War Warhammer, right? It was Empire, Dwarfs, Greenskins, and Oh, I'm sorry, there was also a Greenskins DLC in there, the Grom and the Punch, right? Or, I'm sorry, the the Warden and the Punch. Um uh Grom the Punch being the, the legendary lord that came with that. Um, and um and so the Warriors of Chaos have just been so, so, so outdated. And now that we are in, you know, Total Warhammer 3, Chaos makes a really huge appearance in this. What they did was they released a DLC that is includes one legendary lord, which is sort of a Warriors of Chaos-focused legendary lord, right? Like a... Like a uh, Valkia the Bloody uh, for Korn, Festus the Leech Lord for Nurgle, uh, Village the Cursling for for Dzeech, and um, uh, Azazel, uh, Sigmar's BFF, who who joined Slanesh, um, and uh, and they have also introduced these really complex mechanics for marking champions. Right, so you recruit. You recruit these mortals as marauders, and as they level up, you can apply marks from the specific gods. Like if you give a character a mark of corn, um, they will uh they will have like increased melee attack, um, and uh but like lowered melee defense. Uh and also I think they get more armor and stuff like that. And they will take on a whole new appearance, right? They'll get corn kind of flavored armor and stuff like that. Um and it's just like all of this stuff is very is is very cool. You can you can take your heroes and lords and ascend them to demons, right? Which is part of the lore of warhammer right is that a mortal who comes to lead the warriors of chaos will eventually be able to ascend to a demon prince um yeah that happens where in they the, become... the prologue of, of three, yeah right? exactly where yeah they it happens in the prologue with with uh with the demon prince character whose name is famously daniel um <laughs> anyway and so uh it is it is, it is it is upon us. It's tomorrow morning. Almost a little more than 12 hours from now. We will be in a world where Total War Warhammer 3 features the Immortal Empires campaign. And, like, the exhilaration is insane. I have no idea how to, how to properly describe it. Because, like, this is a game I have essentially been waiting for for 10 years at this point. Um... The original Total War Warhammer came out in 2014, but we learned about this plan for it to be a a trilogy where each installment was going to carry the armies forward so that you could play the old armies of the previous installment in the newest game. We learned about that basically as soon as Total War Warhammer was announced, which was, I think it was in 2013, might have even been 2012, and... It's, ha- it's happening. Like, not only is it happening, but they have also given us the most complete and massive map, right? Like, just there is so much to the Warhammer 3. 3- immortal empires map every little aspect um of the southlands you know all the way across the darklands to cathay right cathay being a completely brand new addition to warhammer fantasy we've always known that cathay existed right but cathay has always existed sort of in the in the margins um of these you know the 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 bigger feature um of the old world right you know, you learn about Cathay because Clan and Assassins, right? The the uh the Skaven who, who trained to to be stealthy assassins, they they learned their secrets in Cathay. They are the, the Cathay version of um uh of Skaven. And it's just like all of this stuff coming to a head, it's don't I d I don't know what else to say. It's incredible. Um That, you know, I've been playing Hearthstone, there's a big balance patch that came in on Hearthstone, um, which is actually one of the worst balance patches of all time, it seems like, uh, where they basically nerfed the one linchpin deck that was holding all the other decks in check, uh, which was a control shaman deck that relied on uh, a card called Snowfall Guardian to sort of freeze the board, like, you know, over and over again. And uh, and they nerfed that card, which destroyed Shaman, apparently. It sort of got rid of Shaman's ability to craft this win condition where you slam a big creature, you freeze your enemy's board, you make a big guy, and then you swing for win, basically, right? Um, but now the meta has sort of devolved into this sort of rock-paper-scissors nonsense of druid, quest hunter, and mage, and rogue, which has this insane high roll with uh, edwin van cleef and other sort of like miracle activators um so that's great and sort of fun they buffed warrior a lot warrior is more fun and i actually think quietly good and i actually honestly there's a part of me that wants to take some of my friends and bring them on the podcast for an hour and a half discussion like round table discussion on the state of warrior and hearthstone right now <laughs> some of the, the conversations that we're having are insanely in- you know it's about like these specific car you know like Cards which are which are the ones that work and which are the, which are the ones that don't. The archetype right now is Enrage Warrior, which is to say a warrior that cares about damaging its own minions in order to sort of like activate cool stuff on the board. And it's a very aggressive deck, right? It's about getting onto the board, staying onto the board, um, and sort of running over uh, and sort of running over the opponent. And I think it is maybe one of the most complex decks that I have ever played, especially as an aggressive deck. the The number of lines in some of these warrior in some of these Warrior decks are just like insanely complicated, and it is it is so tough to think about um, when it comes to sort of like what you're going to do, um, which I like and think is interesting, but is also like. Tough. It feels like it feels like I throw a lot of matches because I I misplay. Right? I should have done this instead of that. Um, which is uh, which is kind of just like an interesting way to to sort of to to play the game. Um, one thing I didn't want to ask about: Have you heard about locations? Do you know about the new the new Hearthstone card, a location? Nope. Locations are the new Hearthstone card that got introduced in this set. So the this set is Murder at Castle Castle Nathria. So the locations are a bunch of places in Revendreth. Um, And, uh, and related to, you know, so like the Sanguine Depths, which is obviously a dungeon in the, in WoW Shadowlands, is a location for the warrior, for the warrior class. But it's basically, um, it's kind of like minions with an activatable ability, but it's not a minion. It takes up a spot on your board, right? Um, but you can then click on the thing and then, like, drag it. It can be targeted, right? Or you can also just click on it to activate a sort of a a blanket effect. And it is really neat, Having this sort of, you know, not, you're not playing a card, but you are activating a thing to happen, or you are making a thing happen, right? Um, They've said that this is a new card type that they want to bring forward into the future, and I'm excited for them to do so because it is cool and it is neat. Um, The, I guess I played a little bit of, I guess I played a little bit of WoW, uh, but... I don't really know I don't really know what to say about wow. You haven't you haven't touched a lot of wow recently, right? Since season no. 4 started.
0: Yeah, I I have had other obligations. Um I have not I've literally not locked in since season 4, four started.
1: Um The faded raids are very cool. It is nice going back to some of these, you know, some of these old raids and just doing a different raid every week feels awesome in a in a, in a way that I think is kind of fun and interesting. Um but uh, uh yeah, I guess I guess that's like all of the all of the big news. I, the other other thing is that Better Call Saul did complete. Uh, it is it is over. We we got the series it's finale. It's all gone. It's Saul, yeah called Saul Gone. It is amazing. It is insanely good. That show is so good, and I kind of can't believe that Vince Gilligan and like the Breaking Bad sort of universe of people kind of nailed it. So it it seems crazy to me that you get it right. Back to back like that, and also even El Camino, which I also think was great. Um, it's just like, damn, what what a <laughs> what a world that that we get to have a treat like this.
0: Yeah, well, I I, I do want to go. Re- since I since I missed kind of getting on on the train, I might try and like watch through some of it again, just because like I forget so much of it. Like I watched so, yeah. like it all like you know last year, but. I do want to go back and do that at some point soon. Soon, soon. If I don't, you know, waste my time doing everything else with my life. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. The only other thing that I've been doing is re, is rewatching the Sopranos to kind of keep up with this thing that I mentioned on the podcast. Um, uh, the, you know, Lindsay Ellis's, uh, thing. Um, it's interesting going back. Cause you know, I've, I watched the Sopranos once through a couple of years ago. Um, and I liked it. I thought I thought it was very good. But going back, it is definitely a show that picks up a lot of power uh, when you when you revisit it. So that's that's always a nice feeling.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I uh, I need to go watch through it. I need to I need to do a bunch of stuff. Yeah, always more media to consume. I need to finish fucking Elden Ring. Um, but yeah. Um, but I have been invo- enjoying Rumbleverse. Uh, I played a bit uh, over the over the week. Um, I think that's probably going to be next week's episode. I'm going to make you play it.
1: I uh, will try and figure out how to play it and Immortal Empires simultaneously. I guess. <laughs> right.
0: I mean, it, it's 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 a battle royale, so it doesn't take all that much time. Um, yeah,
1: that makes sense. Uh, it appe- honestly. I like a lot of what I've heard about it because you know something that I talked about being fun about. Um, uh, uh, Spellbreak, rest in peace. Spellbreak, by the way. Uh, I mean, they eventually got they got folded into the WoW team, so I, I I guess I'm happy that developers of a game I liked are working on another game that I like. Um, but uh, but the thing that I really liked about Spellbreak was how close combat it was, and that seems to be what Rumble versus is, is is like as well. And I think that that'll make it very fun. Yeah. No. I. So it's it's not quite.
0: It, so the big thing is is that it's not, it's obviously not shooting skill. It's a lot of, like, kind of fighting game fundamentals, right? And, like, if you just, mm-hmm. like, know how to, like, play basic footsies, um, it gets, like, you can beat a lot of people. Um, I'm not great at it, but, like, you know, I'm not great at footsies, but it's, like, easy enough to kind of, like, get through those one-on-ones, you know. A lot of people who stand up and do the same thing every time, you just, like, step back, wait for them to whiff, and then punish. Uh, that kind of stuff, so... Um, I might it very compelling I've been having a great time with it so um, oh, very cool yeah um, well I think we've kind of hit the total time we were supposed to at this point so okay. if we want if we want to call it now um, if you'd like to email us uh, about anything we talked about in this podcast reaches up to Derp's play games at uh, to Derp's play games at gmailcom or at atgame. Follow us twitch. twitch.tv so that's true. Play games but these go out live, and then you'll have to deal with the fact if we have technical difficulties, like before, when they would all be hidden from you. Um, uh, but uh, rate review us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you want. Um, that's everything I have. But do you look- have anything you are looking to promote?
1: Uh, you know, I have nothing that I'm looking to promote right this second, but I will say that this is a big week for announcements for Akupara Games. So I would, I would pay a lot of attention to what's going on in the Akupara Games universe. Um. Uh, over over the next week.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, with that, I'm gonna say uh, until next time, your listeners. Until
1: next time, loyal listeners.